0: As we read just a moment ago, the last virtue that's listed by the great Apostle Paul through divine inspiration that is found in a person that is walking in the Spirit and thereby, because of that, is producing the fruit of the Spirit, that final one is none other than temperance as the King James renders it or simply self-control. You know, in some ways, one might consider this virtue the most important. Because without self-control, the works of the flesh cannot be overcome. You and I understand that if we don't overcome the works of the flesh and the sinful pleasures in the flesh, if we don't figure out a way that we can stand against those things, then we are going to give in to those temptations, and we're going to sin. We understand that sin is a transgression of the law, And therefore, we need to figure out a way that we aren't going to give in to those temptations that come our way, especially with regards to the flesh. We need to understand that self-control is of utmost importance because without it, the other elements of the fruit of the Spirit will not be made evident. But let me just say this before we go any further tonight. I am not one that is standing before you that believes that I have mastered the art of having temperance or self-control in my life. I am not saying that I am the model example in any way shape or form with regard to that. But I'm also saying this though. It is something that must be developed by every child of God saying that. I understand that as we go down into the waters of baptism and we rise to walk in newness of life, we begin as a child of God, and we don't necessarily come from those waters of baptism with this idea all figured out. It is a journey, it is a process, and it is something that must be worked on and developed in our life. If self-control is of importance to us in the Christian life that we live, And we better have an understanding of not only, number one, what it is, but how can you and I, as difficult as it may be, how can we develop this wonderful attribute of having self-control? But number one, let's define it and look exactly what it is. The word temperance comes from a Greek word which comes from the root word kratos, which is where we get the word strength. So right off the bat, we're figuring out that it is something that is strength to us. Now this word temperance, as defined according to Robertson, is one holding himself in. Now I'll tell you something, if you look at it from the standpoint of the world, if you look at it from the standpoint of society, as were even little guys in the schoolyard This goes against the very thinking that the world would have us to believe and the world would have us to think. If you think about it like this, all the way back to grade school, what happens if someone says something to you that is not friendly or not good? What happens if someone comes up and pushes you around? There's always someone that's going to be standing by that is going to say, are you going to take that? Surely not, because one that takes that and says nothing when one speaks curtly at us or when one does not retaliate when one would push us around either physically or verbally or in any other way, what the world says is, no, you're not strong, you're not one of great strength, you're a weakling, you are one that's the doormat, you're getting pushed around, you need not to do that, that's what society says. But holding oneself in is the definition of this word. You know, I'll tell you something. When someone says something to me that angers me in the flesh, it makes me not wanna hold myself in. No, it, wants me, it makes me wanna let her go. No, I wanna say it. I wanna speak it, I wanna do it, I wanna retaliate. That's in the flesh and that's basically our nature sometimes but having self-control is one who feels all of those things, who feels all of those uh, uh, temptations to respond in that manner and yet does not. Now, that's hard to do as we live in this life. Let's go further though. Mr. Thayer defines it like this. It is the virtue of one who masters his desires and masters his passions Especially his, but not limited to, his sensual appetites. So it is one that brings his body, his mind, and all of his being into subjection when temptation comes our way. Mr. McKnight adds this. He says, when this virtue subsists, temptation can have very little influence in our life. Why is that important? You know, we are tempted every day. Jesus was tempted. He's the greatest example of what to do when you're tempted. He beat the devil. He beat the devil, the devil with the word of God. And he set a wonderful example as one who paved the way for you and I. Jesus now knows every single thing that you are going through in your life. Have you ever stopped to consider that? don't forget that the bible says regarding jesus he was tempted in all points like as we are but the difference is he had temperance he had self-control and he did no sin we talk about temptation all the time we talk about james 4 and 7. here's a wonderful pattern of how you, what you do when you're tempted submit yourself therefore unto god resist the devil and he will flee from you the apostle paul further says we're not going to be tempted greater than we are able to bear and with the temptation we're going to be given a means of escape also there's no not going to be a trial that would come in my way or by my way in my life that is not common to man meaning this i might think that i have these things in my life that are cast before me as great stumbling blocks and so on, and I might think that they're just for me, but it is common to man. And something that I've always found in the times of sometimes the most difficult aspects and difficult things that I've had in my life, if you keep your eyes open during that time, you know what you find? You find someone's had it way worse. There's always someone that had it way worse. I might think that I'm struggling in the flesh, as I live this fleshly life day by day, that I have temptations coming my way that are pulling me aside stronger than everyone else. But if you'll keep your eyes open and you'll look around you, you will find someone is going through worse. Oh, but there's a wonderful example is found in God's word of what happens when we don't give in to those things. The book of Proverbs further tells us with regards to temptation. What does he say? He says, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. By the way, we're getting to this point. Follow me uh, just for a moment. Solomon says, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. What else does he say? He says that if people are going to ask you or bid you to go with them, and they're going to do something that is wrong and something that is sinful, that we ought to stop dead in our tracks and refrain the foot from their path. In other words, I need to go in the about face in the opposite direction and go as fast as I possibly can. I said all of that to say this, going back to McKnight's definition of that. Notice the definition once again. When you have self control, temptation can have little influence. That's what I want to know. I want to know that in my life, how can I not stumble in sin? I cannot stumble in sin, or I won't fall under the traps that come my way in the flesh and give in to those things if I have self control. And I'll tell you this too, though. If I don't have this and I don't determine and decide the person that I want to be long in advance, I'm going to stumble and I'm going to fail every day of my life. The decision has to be made long in advance and I must do that and purpose that I'm going to stay the course and when the temptations come my way, I am not giving in. I'm going to have self-control. We're going to get to how you do that in a minute. A lot of those things are easier said than done. I understand that. We're going to get to how you can do that in just a moment. You know, this word is found three times only in the New Testament scriptures. You remember this morning we quoted from Acts 24 and 25? Remember we were talking about sad words that are in the Bible. Some of the saddest words uttered this morning when we mentioned Acts 24 and 25, when the great Apostle Paul was talking to Governor Felix, you remember what he said? He reasoned with him of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Now, why would I point that out? I point that out because we understand about righteousness. We also understand the flip side of that, and that's unrighteousness. What is unrighteousness? The Bible says... All unrighteousness is sin. Sin is a transgression of the law. And sin, unrepented of, will cause us to lose our soul in the devil's hell one day. So it's of ever important before our eyes as we live the Christian life. But notice what he said. He not only reasoned of righteousness. He not only reasoned with him of judgment to come. But also self-control. Mr. Vine says this. He says that the word follows righteousness in this passage in Acts 24 and 25. It follows righteousness, which by the way, represents God's claims. And the word temperance here follows righteousness, indicating that self-control is a man's response to such claims, such as what Mr. Vine says about that. Thought that was rather interesting. So God's claims are described with righteousness. The word of God is described and given to us today. My self-control is going to tell whether or not I'm going to submit to the claims that are found in that word. That's the first place that this word is found in all the New Testament. The second place is found in Galatians chapter five and verse 23 where we see it evidenced as one that walks in the spirit and being led by the spirit look in galatians 5 beginning in verse number 14. for all the law is fulfilled in one word even in this thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself but if ye bite and devour one another take heed that ye be not consumed one of another this i say then walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led by the spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, temperance against such there is no law and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts if we live in the spirit let us also walk in the spirit and so we find in this passage of scripture that this is a way where we see it as evidence of one walking in the spirit if I can control myself day by day it's evidence that I'm walking in the Spirit. If I can control my anger, it's evidence that I'm being led by the Spirit. We're led by the Spirit by being led by the things that are found in this book. And if I go out and I have self-control, and by the way, as all of you know, I know you know this. If you call yourself a Christian, or you profess to be a Christian, What you're saying is you are saying that you are being led or guided by a higher standard, that you are following something that not every single person in the world is going to follow. But I'll tell you something, when you do that, the entire world is watching just to see if you're going to practice all the things you say that you believe. Self-control is a way that I can prove to the world That I am walking in the Spirit and led by the Spirit. You know, it's also found in another passage of Scripture, this word, 2 Peter 1 and 6. You remember where the Bible says, uh, add to your faith virtue and virtue knowledge and knowledge temperance. Let me just say this. I don't believe that every time that there's a list in the, word, in the Word of God, that it's saying that you must, in this fixed succession, do and accomplish these things. Because I think in the Christian walk of life, as we grow and develop and so on, sometimes I have things that I struggle with that you would not. Or things that you struggle with, I don't struggle with. So some of the things in our Christian growth may be easier for me and other things might be easier for you. But let me just say this. I thought this was rather interesting about why temperance follows knowledge. Mr. Vine says this. It follows knowledge suggesting that what is learned requires to be put into practice. Now that makes sense to me. You know, there was a sermon preached one time. Entitled, Can You Recommend Your Religion? And one of the points was, can you you recommend your religion by the way that it works for you? By the things that come your way in your life, can others look to your life and see that everything that you profess is real? That's what the world wants to know. I'll tell you this. You know, a man once said one time that a religion that makes a man look sick won't cure the world. I'll tell you something else, too. If I, living in my life, do not go through the things, whatever trials come my way, and I can't get through them, then my religion or all that I believe, my faith in view of the world, is meaningless. And if I don't live as I should, and I don't have self control, then I am rendering my religion meaningless. On the other hand, When I finally get a knowledge of God's word and I put it into practice, temperance, that's a choice. That means that I have a responsibility after I learn, I have to put it into practice. That religion is something that you're showing the entire world that is meaningful and beneficial. Self-control, then, is being in control of oneself in the context of the scriptures and controlling oneself so as to be in harmony with the will of God. But as I mentioned just a moment ago, though, it's a whole lot easier to define than it is to develop. And let me just ask you this. Are you like me? Have you had a problem at least a time or two in your life with not being able to control yourself? Have you ever slipped? Have you ever, knowing you need to have self-control, ever made a mistake? I have. I would think that if all of us were very honest with one another, with yourself, not to me, it's between you and yourself. But if we are all honest with ourselves, I'll bet we can all understand that we've all fallen short along this line, that there have been times when we did not do what we should do, that we gave in, that anger overtook us and we said something that we really shouldn't have said. That's something that must be worked on, that's difficulty in our life I know but you know the scriptures describe how difficult self-control is one of the wonderful things about the Word of God is not only does it say what we must do and what we must not do, it even understands how difficult some of these things are. Now we know that the Bible says we have to have temperance or self-control. You know what Solomon said of old though regarding this? It makes me feel a little bit better that the, God, that the great God of heaven that I serve day by day understands how difficult this is for me. In verse 32 of Proverbs chapter 16, it says, he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and notice this, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. It is easier to take a city than to rule oneself, than to bring oneself into subjection. But does that mean that we don't have the responsibility of doing such? Absolutely not. The same writer now in the 25th chapter of the book of Proverbs and verse 28 says this, he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. So, we understand that we are headed for destruction if we cannot rule our own self, if we cannot bring ourselves into subjection. Incidentally, you ever study the qualifications of being an elder? I'll tell you something. You find people that are peaceable, soft spoken, they're quick to listen, and slow to speak. I got to be careful i got to be careful because that's one of the hardest things for someone like me in my life is being slow to speak because I want to respond. I want to say it. But according to God's word, that is not something that is a positive characteristic in my life. So that's something that I must work on. You know, and also understanding how difficult that it is, also notice this. You remember in our Wednesday evening studies, we studied the book of James in great detail. We spent some months in the book of James. In fact, we spent about four weeks on every chapter until we exhausted the subject and exhausted the book of James. In James chapter 1 and verse 26, you know what James says? He says this first. He says that with regards to the tongue, that it makes no difference what I say in my life by way of my Christianity. It makes no difference about all the things that I might profess. It makes no difference about all the things that I will do in my service to the great God of heaven and all my outward profession of being a Christian. If I cannot bridle my tongue, it renders my entire religion vain, or useless but then fast forward now a little bit further in the book of James and we find an understanding of how difficult that that really is in our life you know this is some reassuring words to us that we can look to God's Word and find that they understand that God understands what we go through with regards to bridling the tongue James says you have to do it but look how difficult it really is Beginning in verse 3, James says, Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which, though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and set on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of the things of the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. You know, I know there's some horse people here in this room. Everett and Judy and Dee and maybe some others. I don't know. But I'll tell you something. You can take a horse even with a hard mouth. You know a hard mouth is what happens when you repeatedly over time pull back on a horse's head and the bit actually breaks the skin. And then you know how it is, uh, just like your hand with a blister. You get a callus, now it becomes hard. A horse with a hard mouth is hard to stop. But you can make a horse have a hard mouth with a curb bit in in his mouth and he won't listen. What's the difference? You can go up to severity or up to a greater severe bit. You can put a spade bit in his mouth with a tongue that long. And I'll tell you something. I not only can control his tongue, I can cut it off. I can rear back and have that spoon go through the roof of his mouth. Listen, he's going to obey me. Even then. But I can't control the tongue of my brother. And he can't control my tongue either. Secondly, the tongue is an irresponsible member of the body simply as the outward manifestation of the inward problem of the heart. So it matters not about the things that you say. It matters not about the tongue if the heart is not fixed first. And that's different from every single beast that lives in this old world. That's the difference. You've got to fix the heart. And if you fix the heart, isn't it, isn't it wonderful to see that that's the pattern? Fix my inner man and every other thing in my life seems to fall into place rather nicely. Yes, it's easier to tame wild animals, James 3, 7 through 10, than the tongue. But it still is something that I must do because James 1 and 26 says, If I don't, it renders my entire religion useless. What a waste of time that would be. But you know, in Jesus Christ, there is strength in controlling oneself. I want you to notice a passage of Scripture found in the seventh chapter of the book of Romans where we find where the Apostle Paul is dealing with the dilemma of the flesh and the spirit. Notice what Paul says. Again, these are words that we understand that apart from Christ and without Christ's help and without our affections on things above and without the Lord guiding our life and without the Spirit found in God's Word guiding me every day of my life, I am going to have nothing but turmoil and problems with regards to the war between the flesh and the Spirit. Hear the words of Paul so long ago, beginning in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I do not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent under the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Keep going. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Notice. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, here it is, here's the ray of hope, here's the encouragement, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with my mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Jesus Christ is the answer. The Lord is the answer. God's word is the answer. And listen, when I go out and war amongst my fleshly side with the things that I know are right, that's difficult. But if my affections are set on things above, and when I'm transformed, like Paul said in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I can get through this old world, and I can get through life, and I cannot uh, fall To the things that come my way if I am led by the Spirit of the Word of God. You know, Paul says this. This is a dilemma without Christ. It's a dilemma that leads to the inability to perform as one wishes despite the will to do so. It is also the dilemma that leads to the state of captivity to the law of sin. It is something, a dilemma, that leads to the condition of despair... We have a glimpse or ray of hope in Jesus Christ, as Paul pointed out so long ago. You know, the answer is stated very clearly in our text in Galatians 5 and 24. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. But let me just say this. I am not saying because we possess temperance, self-control, and are led by God's word and doing our best, It does not mean that we are not going to make mistakes. It does not mean that we're not going to sin. Because brother, that's not true. The Bible says that all have sinned and all have come short of the glory of God. I understand that. I also understand that there is the devil who, by the way, is in a place in pits or chains of darkness awaiting his eternal fate. Have you ever stopped to consider where he's going? That hell, Gehenna hell of the lake of fire, it's a place that was created for the devil and his angels. Did you know that it was not created for man? It was created because of the disobedience of the devil and the sinful pride of the devil When Satan and a third of the host of heaven was cast out of heaven, down into pits or chains of darkness, awaiting the resurrection, and on that last and final day, when death and hell would be cast into the lake of fire, that's where Satan is going to be for all eternity, and he wants to take as many people with him as he possibly can. There's a war for your soul every day that you live. So I'm not saying that we're not going to be troubled, and I'm not saying we're not going to make mistakes. I'm simply presenting a pattern from God's Word and a way that we can stay on track. You know, it all begins when one is united with Jesus Christ in baptism. We know that. We rise to walk in newness of life, and what do we do? As we say so often, we put to death or we are crucified with Christ. The old man of sin, says Colossians 3, is put to death. So then, I have the responsibility of doing something. What is that? Verse 5 says, Mortify the deeds of the flesh, mortify or put to death all the the sinful, fleshly, carnal things. In my life. I must lay them aside. You know, I'll tell you. When you went down into the waters of baptism, you didn't take your sins away. When I went down into the waters of baptism, I didn't wash away my sins. In obedience to the gospel, when I went down into the waters of baptism and I was risen to walk in newness of life. The Bible says that I contacted the blood of Jesus and it was then That my sins were washed away and I began at that point in time my Christian walk as a babe in Christ. That was beyond my control. I couldn't take my sins away. I wasn't worthy of doing such and neither were you. But the very second we come out of the water, now it's my responsibility. The very minute I came out of the waters of baptism, now I'm in control. I'm in control whether I'm going to give in to the sinful pleasures of this life or am I going to to fight against those things and live as I should. So we are going to be tempted day by day, but understand this. It means, though, that we are not under the dominion. You know what dominion means? That's a fancy word for this. Absolute rule. Daryl used to say this a lot. We're not the servers of sin. There's a difference between making a mistake and being the servant of sin. When someone's in the world, guided by the things of the world, guided by the flesh, and all of that, you are the servant of sin. Therefore, sin has dominion or absolute rule over you, and all of the penalties that come with it is coming your way. But when you are a child of God, no longer are you under the dominion or absolute rule of sin. That's wonderful. No longer am I the servant of that. But you know, there's something else, too. Have you ever felt guilty? It's one of those times we have to be honest again. You ever had regret in your life? If you show in your life self-control, you don't put yourself in a position to feel guilt. I know we've all felt that. I know the little guys feel it, too. The other day, I'll use my daughter, Taylor, as an example. She had a little thing we were working on together, and uh, it was a little something she needed to work on. She stubbed her toe a little bit. I confronted her. I was ready. I was ready as dad. Here was a teaching moment. I was going to get it all lined out. What a wonderful time. Here it is, dead to rights. I've got her now. I'm going to have this wonderful opportunity to see. see? This is what you should have been doing, and that's what I meant. But I asked her about it. You know what she said? Oh, I did it, Daddy. And boy, do I regret it. What do you say to that? Tell you what I said. I stumbled over my tongue and you you see, well, that's good. That's right. Remember that. We all feel regret when we do things that we know are not right. If we're not living as we should... And doing the things that we should in our life. Oh, the horrible, as the Bible says, the horrible ringing sound in my ears. Oh, is that horrible? The conscience. The voice of the soul. That is something that's awful for us sometimes. But when we are led by other things, the spirit. When we are led by God's word, it's going to have us make the proper and right decisions in our life. That's powerful. That means I'm gonna have a better time in this life. You know, not only, not only living a godly life will it cause us to be able to go to heaven one day, but it also helps us in this life. It is the wisest and smartest thing to do in your life is to follow God's word. It's even practical. We'll be better citizens. We won't be in trouble. We won't be in trouble with the law and so on and so forth. Oh, does it make a lot of sense To have self-control and manifesting self-control in our life. I understand, though, that it's a process that continues as we grow daily. You know, Colossians 3, we often quote where it says, if ye be then risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, and set your affections on things above, and not on things on the earth, we won't go to that passage for time, but beginning in verse 10, it talks about some more things, that this is a continuous growth process. Yes, indeed it is. It is a growth process. One more passage of scripture in the book of Philippians, uh, the second chapter, where we find that this is a twofold responsibility. In Philippians chapter And in verse 12, notice what Paul says here. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know what that tells me? That tells me that I have to get up every morning and go to work on myself spiritually. That also means that not only do I have to go out in a secular capacity and satisfy the needs that I have in a secular capacity and give to my boss if I work in that way and so on and so forth. Not only that, but I have to go to work every day on me. I have to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. That's a nice way of saying this. I have to diligently strive to be the Christian that I need to be as if it all depended on me. But have the faith that God's going to do his part. Look at the very next verse, verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That's what's wonderful is God does his part too. If I would do mine. In conclusion tonight, it's so important that we have this attribute, this quality, this virtue of self-control because without it, we cannot defeat the temptations that come our way. Without it, we cannot overcome the works of the flesh. Without it, we cannot grow as we should in Christ and without it, we cannot bear the fruit of the Spirit. We have a wonderful motivation before us because if we can possess this attribute, then we will be free from the absolute rule of sin. We will understand we're not alone, that God's with us all the way. And here's something else, too. We have the blessings and we have the confidence that if we stub our toe, and we will, if we make a mistake, And we'll repent of those things. God will forgive us if we're willing to keep trying again. And he'll wipe those things clear and still be there to help us every step of the way. 1 John 1 and verse 9. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information